Hello there. Welcome to the program. It's the Raised by Whoops fake radio show, to be exact. This is your pal, Andrew, one half of a hosting team of Goombas, bringing you this show. The other guy is Glenn. He's a Canadian. He's great. We're going to talk about Canada and with two people who also think it's great and for very good reason. We're talking today. I say talking. They're going to talk to us. The names are Julie and Marcus Tuck. They're some friends of ours that uh, my wife Tiffany and I met a couple years ago in Guadalajara, Mexico. They are what you call overlanders, which seems an oversimplification of what these two delightful people are. I guess it's what they currently do. They go overland to many places. They've been to like almost 50 countries uh, all over Europe and Africa and South Central and North America for the past eight and a half years. They're going to tell you their story. But what interested me about this particular story was it obviously it's a COVID story. If, uh, if you didn't read the title, it's a, uh, a tale of what the Tucks went through in Canada in the time of COVID. And man, it just, uh, I don't know, Tiffany and I had an extremely easy COVID experience. Um, relative to the plight of many, many, many millions of people around the world. And, uh, I mean, it was a weird year, but not necessarily because of COVID. Um, Yeah, it was, uh, to hear what the talks went through was, I don't know, it was kind of powerful to me in a way because, you know, you think of these overlanders, these people who are free from the shackles of, of normal life, that, you know, everything's just going to be easier for them. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. Um, and they were obviously, uh, they survived it. So they're comparatively lucky to plenty of people. But, you know, they they are the kind of people who have enough perspective, thanks to years of traveling uh, before they did this uh, current overland journey. But since, they've they've just, they've seen so much of the world and the, you know, the suffering and the joy of such a variety of people. They really had a great perspective and a uh, a temperament to deal with being in the throes of a, a worldwide pandemic that kind of almost no matter what got thrown their way, they were going to handle it well. And uh, this is a story about two delightful people who handled it very well. We were... Uh, Tiffany and I had just gotten back from our our bicycle journey, and then like two days later, the Tucks were in town, and they brought their super cool, incredible rolling home. They call him Cuthbert. It's a uh, German-made, I mean, small tank of a vehicle. Uh, and it, they were able to park in our driveway, which we're extremely grateful to have the capacity to just to have a driveway, <laughs> to have people. Um, we cooked dinner with them, we got to hang out and then they hit the road. But before they did, I, uh, gave them some oatmeal and a microphone and they, uh, they told me their story again and it's, uh, it's brief. It's a quick little, little tale about what they went through. And I don't know, it was wonderful for us to just have them here because it sort of softened the blow of returning back to normal life. I highly recommend if you uh, if you can't travel, 
host travelers because it puts you back on the road for a tiny piece of time. And uh, that's exactly what Julie and Marcus did for us. I mean, never mind just hanging out with two wonderful people. You know, it's its own joy, but also two people who are traveling is uh, it's good for the traveler who wishes she or, his, she or he were still on the road. So yeah, thanks, Julie and Marcus. Hope you enjoy this story. Um, yeah, there's more of this to come. I'd like I'd like to have more voices that are not mine, and I know Glenn feels the same. So I'm going to try to do some more of this where I go and and bother people who have a story to tell and just put the microphone in front of their face and edit out all my dumbass questions and rambling. So I hope you like this. In place of my questions and rambling, I put in um, little guitar licks, uh, just super brief musical interludes. <laughs> so anytime you hear my guitar playing, you'll know it's instead of me asking a, a poorly worded question. And if you know anyone out there who's got a cool story to tell, uh, please contact them and let them know, hey, there's a couple of guys out there. One of them's Canadian. He's great. And they'd like to hear your story. Why don't you tell it? Uh, all right, that's it. I'm going to stop talking now and give you this little wonderful story from Julie and Marcus Tuck. Oh, you can follow along with what they're doing. Uh, Tuckstruck.net is their website. I'll put up a link on our website. And they're on Instagram. I'm pretty sure they're on Facebook. They're just around. And, uh, Julie's a, a fantastic writer and does a very good job of recapping what they're about and what they're doing. And it's, it's sort of fascinating where all they've been and what they've seen. So, tuckstruck.net. Okay, enjoy this tale, Julian Marcus. Until next time, adios. Quite, we used to go on holidays to Africa and we used to hire a Land Rover with a roof tent and do self-drive safaris and we absolutely loved it. Um, but we realised that a two or three week holiday wasn't enough. We really wanted to see more of the world and for longer. So we had an opportunity where we'd uh, saved quite a bit of money and paid off our mortgage and we were in a fortunate position where we thought we could take a year out to go travelling. Uh, we bought a vehicle which was designed for sort of expedition travel, so off-road sort of four by four kind of travel. And uh, we set off with the intention of going for a year or 18 months. And then after about a year, we kind of thought, hey, this is quite a cool lifestyle. We're really enjoying this. Uh, so we kept going. And uh, after eight and a half years, uh, we're still on the road, uh, traveling around the world slowly. Uh, 48 countries so far uh, through Europe, Africa, South, Central and Northern America. Uh, just before COVID, we were driving up through the USA, uh, the intention going up to Canada and we wanted to go up to Tuktoyuktuk, which is right up on the Arctic Ocean, because we'd already been down to Antarctica, so it seemed to make sense to go as far north as we could. And uh, with Tuktoyuktuk, there's uh, there's some interesting river crossings. And if you go in winter, you can uh, you can go you can drive across the frozen rivers basically. So you use ice bridges. And uh, we wanted to do it reasonably early because there's a small season in the year where the uh, the ice starts to melt, so it can't take the weight of a vehicle. Um, but there's too much ice for the ferry to run. So we wanted to make the run in uh, March so that it was still good frozen conditions. We could get across on the ice in both directions. And so that was our, our idea. We'd, we'd go up to northern Canada. 
Uh, we were traveling up through the uh, the Cassia Highway up to the north. It's beautiful, uh, but obviously at that time of year, it's uh, deep snow, uh, which has its own beauty for us from England. We don't get snow in those sort of quantities or those kind of temperatures. So that was an interesting experience for us. Uh, also, there was very little uh, phone communication or or internet. We had no internet access. Uh, we arrived in uh, Whitehorse uh, to the visitor center. We thought, oh, okay, we'll get a bit of bit of Wi-Fi here and see what's happening and we were confronted with a, a big sign saying closed for COVID. And we're like, ah, okay, something's happened while we've been out of communication for, for a week or two. And uh, there's a big sign saying, if you've got questions, contact this, this website for the government. Uh, we did a bit of internet research and realized that not only had Canada closed its international borders, it actually closed its provincial borders. Uh, and effectively, we were locked into Whitehorse. Uh, we contacted the government. And they said, well, you're here now, so stay, but um, you can't travel around. You have to stay in Whitehorse itself. Uh, we pointed out that we were in a visitor centre car park with a big sign saying no overnight parking. And they said, doesn't matter, stay there. So uh, we camped for the next 12 weeks in the visitor centre car park with temperatures down to minus 32. <laughs> No, we weren't, we weren't plugged in. Um, it, it's a very well-made German vehicle. It's got extremely good insulation. Uh, it has a propane heater for the rear. Uh, a 20-pound propane bottle was lasting us about two and a half weeks, um, providing all our hot water and central heating, even at, at minus two centigrade. So, I mean, it, it shows that the insulation works well. We have solar on the roof for our electricity. So uh, every... Every morning after it had been snowing, I was up on the roof with the shovel, shoveling the snow off to keep the uh, solar panels nice and clear to get the sun. Uh, this, in March, the days were quite short. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little bit marginal on the power. But, you know, we, we were able to control it. If we really had to, we could have started the engine. But again, at those temperatures, you didn't really want to start the engine unless you really had to. We were allowed to drive around within the town of Whitehorse. Um, so... We, we could go to the, the, the local grocery store and things like that, obviously with the normal COVID regulations and masking, etc. Uh, so that wasn't too much of a problem. Water was the issue, getting water, because obviously in those temperatures, everybody has their outside taps turned off because of freezing. Uh, but we found a truck wash in town uh, and the Canadian truck washes are indoors because of the temperatures obviously up there. Uh, we did a bit of a deal with the truck, truck guys. If we went in and washed the truck, uh, they would allow us to fill up with water, which was great. So I don't think uh, Cuthbert, our truck, has ever been so clean because he was getting a he, he was getting a spa day every week, <laughs> which was quite good to get the snow and the ice off him. But it was also allowed us to get the fresh water, which was uh, handy. Yeah, we we did we were we were trying to go out and walk once a day, um, which was actually quite nice because we we're on the we we're on the Yukon River, and it allowed us to see it from when we first arrived. It was completely frozen. And you could see where the river was, but it was just a snowfield. And then as spring came, we saw it breaking up and cracking. And then you're seeing the icebergs flowing down as the water flow. So that was really interesting for us to see that. So it was our, our daily adventure was to go out and see what state the river was in each day. Um, Hobby-wise, I, I quite like electronics. So I had some a little Arduinos and things like that. And I started making some electronics and building little circuit boards and programming some code and things like that. Just odd little tweaks around the truck to automate a few things which really didn't need automating but it gave me something to do and uh julia you were doing some sewing and knitting yeah so uh yeah i mean there's 
and quite a bit of reading, I guess. We we had very limited internet access though, because the uh, the Wi-Fi from the visitor center was was only on from about nine o'clock in the morning to about four o'clock in the afternoon. So, and it certainly didn't have the bandwidth to watch television or anything like that. So we were having to be reasonably self-sufficient. And going out for walks in that climate is it takes quite a bit of preparation in terms of getting dressed up to go out for a walk in minus thirty-two. So in, initially, we thought we could just have warm jackets on, put on some snow boots, and a warm jacket and we'd be good going out for a walk as Brits we're not used to those kind of super cold temperatures and then we realized that going out in jeans in minus 32 is really not a good idea so then we got our ski salopettes out and things and started but then it took us half an hour to prepare to go out for walks but we had plenty of time and we'd made a point of going out and getting some exercise every day so it just took us about 20 minutes to prepare to walk like putting all the layers on and like two hats, one hat on your head is not enough in that temperature. You put on one one beanie hat and then another beanie hat on top and things like that. Then, you know, it, it was a beautiful place to go out for walks. Like Marcus said, just watching the river crack up every day was great. So we walk a few miles up and down the river every day. After um, a few weeks, we were allowed to drive around the outside of town a little bit, not travel across the province, but just drive out to some of the lakes that were just maybe four or five miles outside town. So we could go and park up out in, in the, a little bit of, of, of wilderness and then we saw the, the northern lights. That was awesome, yeah. In the visitor centre car park, we were there for 12 weeks and then they opened up the province. We weren't allowed to leave the province, but we could we could drive around the Yukon uh, which was great. I mean, we, we, we could then go out and travel and uh, effectively we had the Yukon to ourselves. We were the only tourists there. So um, having the whole Yukon to explore to ourselves was actually quite a, a privileged experience. And I have to say the Canadians were just fantastic. I mean, they really, really were good to us. It was, uh, it was brilliant. Yeah, because the Alcan is the, 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 the land route from uh, the lower uh, 52, 48, 48, 48. <laughs> up to uh, Alaska. That was obviously a corridor that had to be kept open for the, for the Americans. Uh, and the Canadians put strict rules. They wouldn't stop Americans from doing the transit, but they had they had to stay on the road and they were allowed to stop at fuel stations, but that was basically it. So the idea was they would have a three-day permit to drive through. Um, the problem with White Horses, uh, quite a few of the Americans were coming off of the, the highway and coming down into town to use the grocery stores, etc., and uh, there was quite a bit of local opposition to that uh, because they there was therefore a, a risk of someone bringing COVID into the town. Um, some people say it was a little bit overreactionary, but we were talking to paramedics um, in the Whitehorse area, and they were saying basically there are two intensive care beds for the whole of the Yukon. That's it. So if they had an outbreak of COVID and they had a number of ill patients, there was there were obviously going to be logistic problems with only two beds to be able to treat them in the whole of the Yukon. So, yeah, there was quite a strong feeling against people from outside coming in. We were a little bit concerned because obviously we were not locals either. We didn't have Canadian plates. Um, we put little signs in the window of the truck to say, hey, look, we're Brits. We're stuck here as well. We've been isolating, etc." Uh, luckily for us, CBC News um, came along and sort of like, who are these crazy Brits in their, in their trucks stuck in this visitor centre car park? And they did a little news story on us, just a little five minute clip at the end of the news kind of thing and uh, that was actually great because that informed the locals who we were and the fact that we were following all the rules um 
And then we uh, got really good feedback in the following days. We got all kinds of locals coming down to visit us and bringing us food parcels and uh, just generally being really kind. sitting in the truck we got a knock on the door and as lots of people came round to, to sort of wish as well and bring us presents and one day a lady came round and knocked on the door and then put a cake down and distanced herself then a ways and we had a conversation from a distance and she explained about this beautiful cake she'd made from a local recipe or the honey she'd used and things and she put a, a card down next to it saying hey I'm going to leave my card here. If you guys have got any problems, I'd be super, you know, help. It'd be great if I could help you in any way. So please just let me know if there's anything I can do. So we had a chat for a while and she said farewell and walked away. And then I stepped forward to pick up the cake and the card that she'd that she'd left for us. And when I looked, it was the Minister of Justice for the for the province. It was just amazing that she'd taken the time personally once she'd, she'd seen us on TV then to uh, to bake a cake for us and to come around and check that that everything was okay. That That's a kind of an indication of the reception that we got from the local people there. Once they knew that we weren't, um, you know, bringing any, anything bad into the town and that we were kind of stranded there, they were just awesome people, those people of Yukon and Whitehorse. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think also the sense of community because they're kind of isolated up there. You know, they have a real sense of, sense of community of helping each other. You know, it's a... I mean, it's a town, of course. I don't know how many people live there, but they have a real sense of community of, well, we're all up here together. They can't just pop out to another town. They don't have another neighbouring town within half an hour's drive. It's a, like an eight-hour drive to the next, you know, to get down to BC. So, um, so uh, yeah, maybe that kind of helps with that sense of community spirit and helping people. But they, we just found them lovely people, and, and we feel very privileged to have been caught there in the pandemic rather than in some other countries where, you know, we were in touch through social media and email with other travellers like us that were caught in the pandemic in other parts of the world who had a, a terrible experience. You know, so many countries really didn't um, didn't help outsiders in the way that the reception that we had in Canada was just amazing. <laughs> Five months, months, I think, yeah. actually, in, just in the Yukon. Then we could. Then they opened the internal provincial borders, and we could travel down to BC and go to other provinces. Um, they st- they Canada, still were trying not to encourage too much travel, so we basically we went to BC, um, and we we stayed in BC then for almost a year, I think, yeah. because they were there was they really didn't want people to travel. And so we didn't really want to travel much, but we had spent quite a lot of time in the Yukon by then. And it was kind of like we wanted to get a bit further south, especially as there was another winter coming. We didn't want to end up stuck right. up in minus whatever temperatures for a whole whole winter again. So we tried to head a bit further south. And obviously uh, we were hoping the borders would open. Um, they, they were very good with our visa. We had a six-month visa on arrival. Um, they extended it for six months and then... After a year, they actually extended it for another year because of COVID. Um, we were, it's, a, it's a slightly unusual position. A lot of people say, well, why don't you fly home? Well, technically with the vehicle, you're not allowed to leave the country without taking the vehicle with you. The land border was closed, so we couldn't drive into the US or go anywhere else. So the vehicle was kind of tying us into the country. Plus, if we flew back to the UK, our house was rented out. 
our, our home is effectively our truck and we couldn't ship the truck. So we would have gone back to the UK and we wouldn't have had anywhere to live either. So it was between a rock and a hard place, really. But luckily, the Canadians were great. Um, after then having quite a bit of time in BC, eventually, obviously, we got vaccinated and the pandemic eased a bit and then travel became possible. And we were then able to travel across the country, um, spending a total of 20 months in Canada. And then the day after they opened the border to the US, uh, we were able to leave and we drove into the US. Oh, one of the benefits of having done the TV interview was uh, a friend of mine uh, in the UK. I, I used to have a little Vans RV8 I built and we used to go and do formation flying. Uh, and I hadn't spoken to him for oh, 10 or 12 years, I guess. And he was uh, in his uh, ski chalet in uh, Big White down near Kelowna in uh, British Columbia. And he was on his computer in the morning. He was locked in with COVID as well. And he just saw the news feed pop up and he's like, ah, Marcus and Julie, what are they doing? So uh, he dug out my old email address and uh, contacted me and said, hey, we're, we're stuck here as well. Come down and visit. So uh, in the summer, we went down and visited him um, and they very kindly offered uh, to allow us to stay. If laughingly at the time, it was like, oh, well, if COVID's still here next winter, you know, come and stay with us for a ski season kind of thinking COVID would all be over by then. But um, as it turned out, COVID wasn't over by then. And uh, they very kindly uh, let us stay with them for the following winter. And uh, we we had a, a, a terrible lockdown having to ski every day, I can say. <laughs> so, yeah, the second year was, uh, <laughs> the second winter was much more comfortable than the first. Yeah, we heard of other travellers and they were having the problem in Argentina that the towns and villages were basically block blockading the roads uh, to stop anybody from outside of the village coming through the village um in a lot of countries that's not a problem you can drive around the village um the these travelers were basically trying to get back to buenos Aires to get to the airport so they could fly home um but with the with the road structure and the parts of argentina they're in they were they were just basically stuck outside of the village with blockades when they attempt to try and get to the village to get food or water, people were throwing rocks at them and telling them to go away. Even the police were stopping them from going through. And they were basically stuck in the desert in some cases with no food and water for extended periods, you know, unable to get through the towns. Um, so our experience was obviously considerably better than these people. Eventually, some of the embassies were issuing them letters to give to the police to say, let these people transit because they're trying to get out of the country. Uh, and most of them were able to get through once they got that kind of authority. But yeah, the the, the villages, the feedback we got was that the villages were basically, understandably, they were frightened. But, you know, they were getting to the stage where they were throwing rocks at people, you know, and not letting them even just get food and water was uh, a pretty bad situation to be in. <laughs> style actually made it in some ways easier to handle the pandemic than people that were trying to lead regular lives people who were trying to get to work who had jobs who needed to go on public transport to get to if you're a healthcare provider you know you were there trying to do your professional duty but you had to get to work you had to you know there was a certain amount of interaction with people that was absolutely essential for those people whereas um i, th I think for us although obviously it was hard living in a small box in particularly in very cold climates and in places at least we aren't required to interact with people as part of our daily lives we live a fairly um 
or relatively isolated lives compared to many other people. So we could go to the stores at a t- any time that suited us when it was quiet. We didn't. We weren't re- trying to fit in our grocery shopping in between a busy working life. We could go on a quiet time. So we never had to mingle with crowds. We're not required to do anything, you know, of, of mingling with people that other people had kids trying to get them to school, going on public transport to get to work. So in many ways, we're fortunate, I think. You know, I think our, our lifestyle allowed us to stay um, away from people. Living in a box has its challenges in cold climates, but in the big picture, we tried to stay positive by, um, you know, just counting our blessings. And as far as we know, we never had COVID. You know, we managed to stay away from people. We, we still haven't had it. As far, as far as we know, we've certainly never had the symptoms, so we're pretty sure we've managed to stay COVID-free. So you've got to count your blessings and not look at the bad side and look at the positives, really. We were staying in a ski resort early on at the release of vaccines and the, the staff working in the resort, all the young guys who were up there operating the lifts had a big party lifestyle and the um, COVID went through the staff like they had a massive outbreak amongst the staff in the resort. So the Canadian provincial government sent up a team to do mass vaccination of the resort. Anybody who was there who wanted it could get it. They didn't care how old you were. The programme nationally was being rolled out to old people at that time. If you were in any regular town, you had to be over 80 to get the vaccine. But because of the outbreak in that one little ski resort where we were staying, they said, this is an intense situation. We want to vaccinate everybody who's there. So, And they said, we don't care if you're a foreigner. We don't care if you're a tourist. We don't care where you're from. The only way we're going to nip this thing in the bud is if everybody who will have the vaccine takes it today. And they sent a team up and did a mass vaccination for anybody who was willing. So we were very fortunate to be caught in that situation. So when we stepped forward and said, hey, look, you know, we're here on a tourist visa. A, we're not Canadian. B, we're not even resident here. So we don't want to overstep. And and, But they said, no, if you want it, we'll stick it in your arm right now. And so we were fortunate to be very early on, to get the vaccine very early on in the rollout of of the program in Canada. Um, and then after that, we were able to get the second shot and the boosters further on down the line. So, um, yeah, that was just lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Otherwise, we probably would have waited a long time for our age group to come up in the cycle of, of rollout. <laughs> that was kind of lucky. Yeah. And we were grateful to have to have the vaccine. You know, obviously, I mean, I know it wasn't for everybody. Some people chose not to, but we were very happy and we were just concerned that we weren't seen to be taking advantage of a situation that we weren't entitled to be in you know so we didn't try and um, jump ahead of any Canadian nationals who were down in towns anxiously waiting for their turn you know it but um, you know we we really made sure that we were within their rules and not <laughs> not not taking advantage of the situation. You guys are good at that as well. <laughs> yeah. well the other thing with that was we uh, we had the COVID shield uh, vaccination, which is the the Indian made AstraZeneca, uh, and then the news broke about the blood clots uh, and the issues with it. And as a result of that, uh, a lot of Canadians were refusing to take that 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 particular vaccination. Um, when we came. The, the Canadians were also trying to extend the time period between the first jab and the second jab because they had a supply problem. So they had pushed it out um, a few weeks longer than the UK was doing with the same vaccination. And then a news story broke that uh, a load of the AstraZeneca vaccine was going about to go life expired. 
at the end of the week and was going to be wasted because nobody wanted to get the, the vaccination. So we went to a local pharmacy and explained that, hey, we've had one one jab. Time-wise, we're in, we're in a line with the UK rules to have our second jab, but the Canadian rules say another two weeks. Um, but we're happy to take AstraZeneca and we understand that your stock is going to go life expired at the end of the week. So rather than waste it, can we take the second shot? And the pharmacist was like, yeah, makes total sense because he had quite a bit of stock and he was saying, yeah, he's just basically going to throw away at the end of the week because it's going to go life expired, which just seemed a crazy waste. So we got our second jab uh, on the background of that. So it would have been shots that would have been wasted had we not gone in and asked for it. So, yeah, it was a, it was a crazy mm. time. One of the frustrations, obviously, is that we were so far away from our families. So although it was nice that we were able to stay away from people, the downside was that up to that point in our travels, we had been going home once a year to see our families. But travel obviously then became difficult, even though in theory we could fly to UK. Um, we wouldn't have then been allowed to come back to get back to our truck because Canada would not have let us enter. They allowed us to stay, but once we'd left, we would not have been able to come back. So it ended up being three years between visits to see our family in in UK. So that was a a bit of a downside because we'd kind of committed to seeing them once a year when we set off travelling and we weren't able to do that, um, which was a bit hard, but... You know, they were good. Our, our parents, although obviously they're, they're elderly, we have siblings at home looking after our parents. So they were never, you know, without family care. So And we could do Zoom FaceTime with them and things like that just to stay in touch and check that everything's going on all right. So it was kind of hard not, not being able to do our regular trip home. But, yeah, I think, you know, some people had some awful experiences. But every government took its own view on how they wanted to help or not help their nationals that were overseas. I mean, we heard that some Australians had a real hard time that, you know, their government took quite a strong, strong view. But I guess it was a difficult time and every government had to take the, the view that they thought best to protect their country and their people and they had to make a decision as to how to help or not help their citizens abroad. And um, people had different experiences, but we certainly consider ourselves amongst the most fortunate in terms of where we ended up being and how we were helped by our host country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go Canada. Yeah, go Canada. <laughs> by whoops fake radio show this is glenn both andrew and i are grateful for your time and attention if you enjoyed that story we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends family or even a few strangers about the show additionally you can leave a review on apple podcasts stitcher or spotify if you have a short story you'd like us to tell or even some music you'd like to share 
you can reach out via the website, raisedbywhoops.com. We're glad to have you with us. Until next time, thanks, and take care. Thank you.